Welcome to this Market Commentator podcast. My name is Raik van Ikerk and my guest today is Feroz Baza. He is the Joint Boutique Head of Global Emerging Markets at Old Mutual and one of the fund managers of the Old Mutual Global Emerging Market Fund. Feroz, welcome to the show. Uh, the RAND currently is probably the most volatile ever if we exclude market crashes. Uh, how do you invest in such a volatile environment? Hi, Raik. Thank you. Um, if we look at the RAND, it's been driven by a number of things. You know, more recently, the potential downgrade that we've, we've avoided in South Africa, also um, volatility in emerging market countries. So it hasn't just been the RAND, it's been the Brazilian real, the Russian ruble, uh, the Turkish lira, and also the fact that the dollar has been very strong. So um, it creates opportunities and it creates some threats in the fund. Obviously, we convert South African rands to dollars and then invest in all of these emerging market currencies. So what we tend to do is we look at, at shares from a bottom-up perspective and try not to forecast the rand too much because it creates havoc in our fund. Having said that, obviously, we our, our pricing is in rands, but we're converting dollars, so the rand weakness does give the investor additional benefit on the on the investment that they've made. In your latest fact sheet, you say that global emerging markets is trading at a 30% discount to the markets in developed markets uh, on both the price earnings and the price to book ratio. How did you come to this conclusion? Yes, I think what we do is we, we look at the aggregate of emerging markets. So Citibank is one of the global banks does the analysis of aggregating those emerging markets and developed markets. And we look at them over a long-term basis to try and get a view of where um, the one trades relative to the other. And we can see that emerging markets trading at the discount of 25% on both the price to book and the earnings basis. But I think what's more important is that if you look at the earnings base of developed markets versus uh, emerging markets, um, it's vastly different. You know, if you look at U.S. markets, you look at most developed market funds, they've done very well, um, in, in largely on the back of good earnings growth, uh, strong uh, growth in their businesses, whereas developed mar- uh, emerging market funds have actually come under significant pressure. So their earnings have rebased significantly. So when you look at the opportunity, it's even more pronounced when you look at the relative earnings base because emerging markets' earnings have come under significant pressure and are trading below the long-term normal averages, whereas developed markets are trading above the long-term averages. So I think it creates a, a, an opportunity for investor potentially taking a three to five year view to invest in emerging markets over developed markets. Which uh, emerging markets do you like? Your fact sheets, uh, you know, obviously prefer South Africa. 16% of the portfolio is invested there. But then the other big ones are China, Brazil and India um, and South Korea even. Uh, Why those markets? Yes, I think if we look at South Africa more recently, we've taken some profits out of South Africa. Um, and a number of, of the shares in the South African markets are geared towards global markets. So if you look at pure South Africa, we actually underweight South Africa. Uh, we're concerned about South Africa in terms of growth. Also, the pure industrial companies are seeing huge pressure on their earnings. We're not creating jobs. Um, a particular sector that we're uh, concerned about in South Africa is the retailers particularly the clothing retailers. Now, they've been very resilient for a long time, and I think those earnings are going to come under significant pressure. Um, yes, there are a couple of markets where we, 
extremely uh, bullish on. One more recently has been Brazil. Um, now, it sounds a bit counterintuitive because Brazil has had um, negative GDP growth of 3.5% um, over the last two years. And in that market, inflation spiral out of control. They've also had um, issues with, with, with the um, president and the cabinet and the like. But that's when, when opportunities are created, like um, that's when you actually get the opportunities to invest in world-class companies at very, very low valuations. Um, and that's been, been our big markets, Brazil, um, Russia, um, also investing in, in China and India. And um, funny enough, Brazil, with the worst GDP growth, has been one of the best-performing markets here to date. So, you know, those are the markets we're looking at. Yeah. I think also... Um, uh, uh, Feroz, um, in South Africa, we've, we've got a few big companies driving the whole market. Uh, you yes. know, big companies with a lot of exposure to offshore markets. Of these emerging markets uh, you're referring to, um, do they have the same structure where you have these big international companies performing well, but locally based companies or locally focused companies not doing as well? Now, you see, I mean, that's a very good question because in South Africa, the market's skewed. You know, you like so SAB, BTI, Richmond, um, uh, and now soon to be InBev and Naspers. These companies drive about 60 to 70 percent of the, the valuation, and most of the fund managers are heavily exposed to those ca- counters. Whereas in, in emerging markets, it's localized companies. So, for example, Brazil, we have education companies. Those companies are Brazilian-only companies. We have retailers that focus on Brazil. I mean, if you look at the Chinese companies, uh, a number of them do export their product, but they also sell locally. So it's not the same dynamic that you have in South Africa. South Africa is a very unique market in, in that sense. Um, if we're buying Chinese or Korean or those kind of companies, um, those are companies that um, you know, are focused on the local market or are potentially global giants in terms of manufacturing. So, for example, in Korea, if you buy Samsung, I mean, everybody knows Samsung. They do um, the smartphones. They do all of these other products, um, electronic-type products that send to the world. So though, those are the differences. You find these global giants in these countries that send product out to the rest of the world. Um, yes, but South Africa is unique in that sense. But if you do strip out those um, dual-listed companies in South Africa, um, South Africa is an industrial shares potentially looks expensive. Mm. Your biggest shareholding is in the Taiwan Semiconductor Company. Uh, tell us about this company. Yes, so, so Taiwan Semiconductor is one of the biggest foundries globally. So what they do is they make these chips for, for the likes of, of, of Apple and these big companies. So uh, it's one of those companies with a huge competitive advantage, um, solid manufacturing know-how. Also, they spend significantly in terms of capital, so they create that sustainable business moat around them. So those, that's the biggest foundry globally. Um, in terms of technology, Taiwan, Korea, and these um, countries are at the forefront of technology, and, and, and they, they, they are the leaders in terms of these products. So a very, very good company, strong management team, you know, a sustainable competitive mode, delivers fantastic re- return on invested capital and a strong balance sheet. Those are the type of companies we look for in our portfolio. Around 15% of your portfolio is invested in China. Are you not a bit concerned about the, the Chinese market that it may be uh, a bit high? 
Yes, I think that's a very good question as well. If you look at China, um, you know, we travel to emerging markets. So our analysts, portfolio managers all travel to emerging markets. They visit the companies. We've, I've just been there two weeks ago. Um, and there's lots of talk about a bubble in China. Um, people are scared around the debt crisis in terms of the banks, uh, fixed investment, overspending in, in fixed investment and slowing growth. Um, so when we go to these countries, we look for opportunities from the bottom up, and we find a number of those opportunities. So you won't find our fund invested in any of the banks or or in these construction or cement companies. Um, China has some ph- phenomenal companies that are at the cusp of, of, of growth or have been growing phenomenally. So like the pharma companies, if you look at penetration rates in, in, in pharma in China relative to the rest of the world, very low. And they have world-class companies. So we invested in a company called Sino Biofarm, uh, similar to what we look at, like the AstraZeneca's and, and, and these of, of the global companies. So we get those opportunities in there. Also, some of the consumer companies, at uh, you know, growing at 20% plus, uh, we invest in those consumer companies. And yes, we actually are finding some very good opportunities in China because people are obviously concerned about Chinese growth and they're selling down these world-class companies. So, so finding some really good opportunities in China and, and Taiwan and Korea as well. This is an, an interesting fund, the one you manage, the, the Global Emerging Market Fund. Uh, you know, in, in South Africa, there are 350 uh, companies on the JSE, probably 100, you know, that are really offering investment opportunities. But if you go to the global market, especially the emerging market, there are thousands of these companies. How do you do your research and uh, why can you do it better than, say, an international fund manager in those specific markets? Yes, like if you look at it, I think, you know what, the one thing you mentioned, the, in South Africa, you've got 200 shares, right? Um, of those, for the big, big funds who manage in excess of 5 billion, there's only about 150 investable shares. So universe is quite small. Now, in South Africa, if you look at the opportunities, um, we know resources have run significantly. The last time we did mention that the sec- sector that offers value but with higher risk is the resource space. Um, still some opportunity in that space. Uh, industrials relative to the earnings history looks expensive, and financials, partic- particularly banks, look cheap. So that's the South African market in a nutshell. And obviously, we can, uh, South African investors can call up the company, visit them, um, and, and, you know, you have easy access to those companies. In the global emerging, uh, in, in the global emerging markets arena, for example, they are in excess of 4,000 shares. Of that, there's roughly 1,000 investable shares. So, you know, more than five times the opportunities in South Africa. So you, you really need to, to know, you, you need to have a firm process in place, uh, a philosophy that focuses on a certain number of shares, um, and you need the right caliber of individuals in the team. So in terms of growing up in the emerging market, I mean, we've been through all the shenanigans that you can think of. And in South Africa, we're lucky in that, you know, we have very good corporate governance, and, and that sets us in good stride. You know, think about the guy sitting in South Africa who's had to manage funds through um, 
the Lonman or the Marikana crisis or all these big strikes in, 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 in South Africa that impacts company earnings or volatile exchange rate versus the guy sitting in, in New York or London who's, who hasn't really seen um, first-hand or experienced these things. So I think that's a competitive advantage in terms of growing up in an emerging market. Um, and then also we have a solid framework in terms of investment. So if you look at our process, you know, we have a screening process that uh, brings the shares down to a number of shares that we look at in terms of quality valuation and corporate governance, but everybody has those, those um, criteria. I think we have best-in-class corporate governance framework. Uh, you know, Omutuals is leading in, in, in um, corporate governance glow in South Africa. So we have a very good, robust corporate governance framework. But, uh, um, but how do you invest in China? Do you use a Chinese partner, a research partner or an asset management partner? Or, no, do, no, you no, do, no, or do you do it directly from South Africa? Yes, we invest directly. Like I said, you know, we get the shares that we would like to invest in based on our philosophy. Uh, we visit those companies. Um, and then we, we do our own internal proprietary research on those companies. So every company we invest in is based on bottom-up work that we've done in South Africa, one of the analysts on those particular companies. So it's exactly doing bottom-up work, building a valuation model on a particular company, and then presenting to the team and then deciding whether we're going to invest in that company or not. The fund is relatively new. Um, it was launched in late in 2011. Um, it has about 1.4 billion uh, under management, uh, and it has performed well. Yes, I think you know um, what we've done well is that, like we said, you know we we operate in a global arena. We we try not to pay too much attention to to, uh, for example, like in Brazil, that GDP is going back with three and a half, three and a half percent. We buy those world-class companies that, that in those environments are cutting their costs, um, are maintaining their earnings, have strong balance sheets. Uh, we're buying world-class companies. It's about bottom-up stock picking. Um, and you find opportunities globally uh, uh, that you can invest in. And I think it's been very good stock picking that's come through, uh, very good risk analysis in the fund. And, you know, these have come through significantly in our portfolio. So that ability to pick stocks from bottom up, like I'm saying now, you know, China's underperforming significantly. The stock market is coming off significantly. But this is a time when you find opportunities to invest in world-class companies that's trading below their valuations. And this is the nice thing about emerging markets versus South Africa in, in that you have a wide pool um, of investment opportunities versus a small pool in South Africa, highly concentrated. It's either you're going to take a significant position in resources and banks now relative to industrials, or you're going to have a big, massive position in the RAND edges. Whereas in, in emerging markets, I'm finding opportunities all around the world. In China, for example, we invested in one of the, the biggest um, education companies with roughly 23 million students. I mean, that's almost half the population of South Africa. It's called New Oriental Education. South Africa, you can't even get that opportunity. I mean, you have one company, Curo, and I'm not sure where the earnings is or, uh, you know, I don't even know what the price earnings multiple is. Mm. So it's about good bottom-up stock picking that actually gives you that alpha opportunities. Um, your investment mandate also allows you to uh, use some derivatives um, to manage the the risk, uh, are you uh, using such derivatives? Look, I think from time to time 
you have opportunities to use derivatives to to manage the risk. Uh, but currently, we're not we're not using any of those. What we also do um, have in our mandate is that we're allowed to invest in developed world um, counters, but that have more than 50% of their profits in emerging markets. So those are effectively developed world stocks that have more than 50% of their profits coming from emerging markets, like the Unilevers, the global Unilevers and the like, that gives us those opportunities. Um, I think, you know, what we tend to do is we tend to build up cash when we, when we don't have opportunities, particularly U.S. dollar cash. Um, it gives us opportunities in some of the markets, um, and it also for, provides us with, with a cushion when things are, are expensive relative to where we see it. As we started the discussion, we spoke about volatility. Uh, what do you think should investors expect for, for the short and medium term? I think that's a good question again. You know, it's a low-growth environment. Um, it's very uncertain. You know, people talk about one day U.S. rates going up, the next day it's not going up. China being uh, strong and then the next day China's not strong. The problem with this is that investors are forced to take more risk to get growth. So you need to calculate the risk you're taking relative to the return expectation. I think we're in for a volatile uh, a year, um, particularly with so many uncertainties. But I have no doubt that, you know, if you take a three to five year view, on emerging markets, you know, some of these emerging markets will, would have worked through their structural issues. Um, you know, the growth potential in these markets will be higher than the growth potential in developed markets and more certainly South Africa if we don't sort out the issues in South Africa. And that creates opportunities. Also, I think one last point that I'd like to make is that if you look at the consumption globally, if you look at consumption, um, it's it normally comes from the middle class. And you look at where the strong middle class is emerging. It's in the big emerging markets like Asia Pacific and all of these markets. And that's where the population is. And that's where the drive is for the future growth. So I think if, if one takes a three to five year view, emerging markets should give you fantastic returns. Thank you, Feroz. That was Feroz Baza. He's the joint boutique head of global market at Old Mutual and one of the fund managers of the Old Mutual Global Emerging Market Fund.